What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. This is In Liberty and Health, episode 45, I think. If I'm wrong, then someone can tell me. If I'm not, then, you know, we're good to go. I got Reed Coverdale and Shane Cheshire, um, both returning to the podcast. This is Reed's third time. He might consider doing residency here and we'll work on Shane. Uh, how are you guys doing tonight? Doing good. Hopefully we don't get this one removed, but we're not going to be talking <laughs> about, you know, Podesta and uh, Epstein and you know, the mega group and everything. So we'll be a little bit safer. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. I, I, I We're criticizing Biden, which, uh, you know, a lot of people seem to do, but uh, I think we'll be fine. Shane, what's up, man? Yeah, I'm doing good. You know, we're one year into this uh, regime, so we survived a year so far. So, yeah, yeah, well, we're still uh, upright and breathing. So uh, I'm going to do a little share screen here. We're going to roll through uh, his little press conference that he did before he took questions. And I didn't get to watch all the questions, but it was pretty entertaining from what I did see. So um, let me make sure I got this all right here. Um, I, I hate Zoom because they make you enable sound. I think that is the dumbest. Wait, why do you have a Pornhub tab open? No, I'm just kidding. That's, that's where I watch my midget porn. I don't oh, okay. <laughs> all right. So um, yeah, the date that we're recording this is January 20th. Um, I'll be putting this out tomorrow around 3 p.m. So it'll be January 21st. And, uh, you know, today marks one year of Joe Biden being the overlord in our uh, unfortunate lives. So uh, without further ado. <laughs> well, good afternoon, everyone. Tomorrow will mark uh, one year since I took office. It's been a year of challenges, but it's also been a year of enormous progress. We went from 2 million people being vaccinated at the moment I was sworn in to 210 million Americans being fully vaccinated today. We created 6 million new jobs, more jobs in one year than any time before. You guys can uh, just tell me when to pause it whenever. Um, uh, I just wanted to say 6 million sounds a little high. I'm not so sure about that number. So no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, well, you know, once again, when you lock everybody in their homes for, you know, a year at a time, and then all of a sudden tell people they'd start going out and about, then, uh, you know. Yeah, that was a Holocaust joke, but it's all right. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right, now now we're getting pulled. <laughs> yeah, now you're getting taken off, so. <laughs> unemployment dropped, the unemployment rate dropped to 3.9%. Child poverty dropped by nearly 40%, the biggest. Um, one thing that's kind of bullshit here and anybody who knows anything about the unemployment rate, it's funny to hear presidents talk about this because, you know, Biden does it now, Trump did it. The unemployment rate is such a bullshit thing to spew out because they yeah. never, ever mention the about 35% disparity from labor force participation rate 
to the unemployment rate. So um, I actually have something pulled up here to kind of display that. You can see um, off of CEICdata.com here, um, you can see the labor force participation rate and it's pretty rigid, but as you can see, um, we're right here at about, I think it's 61.9% currently, but unemployment's only 3.7%. Where's yeah. the other 35%? <laughs> that's yeah, no, that's always been a complete bullshit number. Uh, mm -hmm. When Obama referenced it, when Trump referenced it, and especially now when uh, <laughs> when he's mentioning it, it's hilarious because, you know, like we've created, what did you say, 6 million jobs? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, yeah, yeah, everyone was unemployed. Everyone was locked down in their houses and then they went back to work. That's really what happened. You didn't create 6 million jobs. Um, you know, that would be like saying, I mean, well, I guess you could say, although you can't blame it on Trump. Like I was going to say, you could say Trump destroyed millions of jobs, but it wasn't really, he didn't do much to stop it, but it wasn't really him doing it. It was mostly state governments and everything. But to say that you created 6 million jobs and people just went back to work is laughable. I mean, it's hilarious. <laughs> right. This guy eliminated jobs on his first day in office, like with the stroke of a pen. Like, I mean, this guy did damage from the, the get go. So he uh, he wasn't helping us at all in any facet. Um, so it's crazy to hear this whole thing was crazy to hear how he tried to make make him. I think it made him look worse. So, right. Um, you know, I wish I would have kept up some of the tabs, but I'm um, killing that Keystone pipeline. Canada was actually pretty pissed off about that. I was watching a video before. Um, when I was in the gym about um, that's how Canada actually gets a lot of their oil. And I believe that they actually have some rights to that. And there was no communication between them. It was just gone. And it actually is the safest way to transport oil, which is something that nobody, you never heard anybody talk about to transport oil through pipelines, actually a lot safer than by vehicle, by boat, or, you know, by air, if they even do that. Because um, if it leaks, it, well, it's a lot less likely to leak. And on top of that, um, there's so many technologies out now, and this also applies to fracking, that um, you can repair these leaks. And typically what they use is like some kind of fluid to make the, all, the, uh, you know, all the oil and everything to go to the top of the water. So that way they can kind of clean up the mess rather than it's going down to the drinking water. Um, you guys got anything else to add before we resume? We're only 36 seconds in. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you might as well get after it. American so. history. New business applications grew by 30%, the biggest increase ever. And for the first time in a long time, this country. So, well, once again, to interrupt them again, um, the American business application, as you could see here, I pulled it up on census.gov. So, their own data, you could see all of this stuff is plummeting business applications negatives all across the board yeah you see it kind of spike up here but um right here at the bottom um they adjusted it to decrease it <laughs> just just putting that out there so and, and as we know when they talk about trade deficit numbers unemployment numbers jobs um numbers they always get substantially corrected downwards there's never a correction upwards it's always a substantial correction downwards yeah. working people actually got a raise 
actually got a raise. People, the, four, the bottom 40% saw their income go up the most of all those got a raise. We cut health insurance premiums for millions of American families. I got something to say about the raise. <laughs> I, I'm sure. Go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, they were even advertising this ahead of time. They were saying, I forget when, I, it was right before we did a Four Horsemen episode, and I think I'm like, the summer mm -hmm. and they were saying oh the silver lining to inflation is higher wages <laughs> yeah. like, no i mean it's just incredible that that type of gaslighting is just so insane um but yeah i mean when the dollar is worth less and you get paid more of them you do get a raise technically Right. Yeah. We'll, we'll, I think he talks about, well, yeah, he does talk about it a little bit more later on the video. He talks about a Fed chair Powell, who's the greatest Federal Reserve chairman in the world. <laughs> Shane, you got anything to add? Yeah. I mean, this, this raise is a, is a hoax. I mean, uh, first of all, it's because they can't get people to work. So they're paying people at McDonald's and stuff more because they're just trying to get you in the door because they can't people, they can't get people to leave their home anymore. Uh, and then the other part of it is, is what what Reed said is it's not a real raise. I mean, the dollar is just crumbling as we like as we speak, and um, we're we're losing in so many ways. And some people didn't get the raise uh, that they're that he's talking about, so they're really losing. Yeah, and I like to typically phrase this as stolen purchasing power because it's essentially what it is. Um, I did a video when I first started my YouTube channel about how I think it was Dunkin Donuts was paying $22 an hour over on uh, McNightmare Road. I think it was in, um, what would that be? Um, yeah, yeah, over in Aetna. Yeah, but um, literally Dunkin Donuts paying $22 an hour. You can't get people to fucking go to work anymore because it's become so, you know, you get paid so well to just stay at home and do nothing. It's, yeah, that's what's funny about the unemployment numbers. It's like if right. it was really whatever he said, three point five percent or whatever. Yeah, you wouldn't have Wendy's offering twenty two dollars an hour to make hamburgers and only having three employees in the kitchen. Like, get real. Right. Prize medical bills illegal in this country. You know those bills you get that you don't expect if they're two to five thousand dollars from the hospital beyond what you thought you were going to have to owe because of the consultation you weren't told was going to cost that much? No more. They're now illegal. Thanks to the American Rescue Plan and other actions we've taken, we've seen record job creation, record economic growth in the past year. Now, so the one thing that's kind of funny about this is that this was a disaster from his, you know, previous administration, you know, the Obama-Biden administration. When you mandate that everybody has to have health care, and now essentially you've completely socialized the system now people instead of making appointments and you know going in through you know regular system now they just go straight to the emergency room anytime anything happens this is a disaster that they caused and now they're trying to band-aid over um we could breeze through the american rescue plan if you guys want i got to pull it up um do you guys got anything to add before we kind of just dust through that real quick uh. I mean, the Obamacare plan was a disaster. Uh, it, it hurt more people, the working class people, than it helped work, right. working people. So, I mean, Biden care is not going to be any better. I mean, uh, they don't mean any well for us at all. They, they're looking yeah. for socialism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so 
Here, the American Rescue Plan will change the course of the pandemic and deliver immediate relief for American workers. The plan will build a bridge to an equitable economic recovery and immediately reduce child poverty. In fact, the Columbia University study found that passing the plan will lift more than 5 million children out of poverty this year, cutting the poverty rate by 50%. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> The, the bill is one of the most progressive pieces of legislation in history, with more than two thirds of its tax cuts and direct payments going to families making less than 90 grand per year. Um, what they're not telling you is that a lot of the money that they're going to, you know, put behind this bill and use to pay for it is all going to come from the Federal Reserve. Right. I, I literally had somebody on Twitter tell me that oh, the Federal Reserve or this wasn't inflationary because the government made the loans. It was something to that degree. I'm like, are you, are you serious? This is, you're really telling me that we have this independent Federal Reserve and it's not inflationary. <laughs> Come on guys, get real. <laughs> I don't even understand what they're trying to, like how does that make any sense? Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's funny because they're talking about delivering um, relief and all this, but later on he talks a little bit about inflation and what nobody will ever talk about is how inflation is not only the most regressive tax, but it's also um, disproportionately affects people on fixed incomes and people on the lower economic income rung because they don't have assets to be inflated. So their purchasing power gets completely wiped out from you know their hands. Yeah, but yeah it, this whole thing's just a joke. It really is. Yeah, and as you can see, they're talking about giving out more stimulus checks and the um, see extend current unemployment insurance benefits and eligibility to September 6th. So this was a while back, but um, 11 million Americans uh, from losing benefits in about a week um, provide $300 per week for, um, for supplement. It's incredibly inflationary. And to think- I guarantee is- you, you will not see anything end in September because elections are in November, like- they're not going to kick millions of people off of unemployment until, I mean, at least until they get reelected. <laughs> right. <laughs> unless, yeah. Unless they're idiots. But. So I, I actually kind of did a whole podcast on this, but um, the supplemental nutritional assistance program um, that actually has very detrimental effects to society as a whole. And I won't completely touch it here. I believe it was um, obesity and welfare. I can't remember exactly what episode it was, probably around 39 or 40. But um, these programs actually tend to make people more obese. And um, there is a pretty strong correlation between obesity and ending up on welfare. Because as you get more and more unhealthy, you can no longer take care of yourself. So who are you going to go to? You're going to go to the state to take care of you. So um, I'll link this in the show notes. We won't beat up on that too bad. We'll uh, continue to let um, you know our beloved president fall apart as we uh, watch him. Anything before we uh, move on? Thanks to the bipartisan infrastructure bill, we're about to make a record investment in rebuilding America to take us to be the number one best infrastructure in the world. Well, now we're way below that. We'll be creating better jobs for millions of people, modernizing our roads, our bridges, our highways, our ports, our airports, everything from making clean water, removing lead pipes, that every American turn on, every American can turn on a faucet and drink clean water, urban and rural and suburban communities. It's going to make affordable high-speed internet available to every American in urban, rural, and suburban areas. We've never done that before. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Remember when he said uh, African-Americans can't, uh, doesn't, don't know how to use the internet? 
<laughs> and he said Kamala Harris said something about like uh, Kinkos or something like that. They mm-hmm. they didn't have the like they didn't know how to use the technology. It's just crazy. This this guy, it, the high speed internet, like he, I don't know. He just uh, walking talking hypocrite. It's yeah. Read. Yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> how we are we're in the process of getting that done still for all this progress i know there's a lot of frustration and fatigue in this country and we know why covid19 omicron has, oh, has, has now been challenging us <laughs> so i mean it's just so ridiculous like i mean by the way like my boss got covid and he got severely fucked up by it he was in the hospital for like three weeks he had a collapsed lung so I get it. Like, it's not like it's just a joke and it can't fuck you up. I completely understand that it can. But like you look at the statistics, your likelihood, if you're a young, healthy person of being hospitalized without being vaccinated is less than 1%. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're older, it's still not that high. Like, I think like, even if you're like older, it's still like under 5% if you're not vaccinated. It doesn't get high until you have diabetes and asthma and you're you know 75 80 years old i mean we've just been gaslit into oblivion throughout this whole thing and omicron is the least harmful variant and it can still mess you up but like i mean it's getting more mild and more contagious so the idea that oh now we have the omicron variant and we're in more trouble is just i mean it's so backwards and wrong yeah and it's I've really beaten the drums on this, but they never told people to improve your metabolic or physical health. They told you stay inside, wear your mask, wait for your booster, get triple vaccinated, um, be scared of the air. Um, I kind of wanted to tap on this infrastructure plan, but I won't beat up on this too much, at least not right now. But um, Peter Schiff talks about this a lot, but he's absolutely right, is that government jobs aren't a net benefit to the economy, right? Because they take money away from the taxpayers. You have to steal money from productive people who are contributing in, you know, our free market, quote unquote, and um, pay people from the government. And those people who are paying from the government have to take a chunk of that change, which is probably more handsome than people who are doing the work. And it doesn't make the US any better off until those projects are done, which could take years. And even when they're done, they're still probably not even that greatly done because we know anything the government does, they do a terrible job at. Yep. <laughs> All right, we'll keep rolling. In a way that uh, it's the new enemy. But while it's cause for concern, it's not cause for panic. We've been doing everything we can, learning and adapting as fast as we can, and preparing for a future beyond the pandemic. All I know that after almost two years of physical, emotional, and psychological weight of this pandemic and the impact it's had on everyone, for many of us, it's been too much to bear. We're in a very different place now, though. We have the tools, vaccines, boosters, masks, tech. Okay, I want to stop it here. Um, We're going to dust over some of the Israeli data, which is not as promising as you know the regime would have you believe what? so why he, he said vaccines boosters like those are the same thing first of all and like treatment never gets brought up natural immunity never gets brought up mm-hmm. like it's it they're they're like they're so obvious it's like how don't you see it like i it's just it's mind-boggling the other right. thing is um well i'm sure we're about to go over this but yeah 
the Omicron variant is pretty impervious to vaccines. It doesn't really make much of a difference. So the idea that, I mean, also if, okay, if these are working, why are we back in masks and social distancing again and everything? <laughs> like, why are we starting to play this charade again? Record if cases. We're so far ahead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and what they won't tell you is that these record cases are also not severe cases. Um, so I literally just Googled this, right? Israel vaccination rate. So you can see right here 17.7 um, million doses of the vaccine have been given, and 65.6% .6 of their um, population is vaccinated. Right. Bam. Israel world number one in daily COVID cases per capita. This was, yeah, January 20th. Yep. <laughs> I, also, there, there, I don't know if you heard um, Dr. Malone, uh, Robert Malone talk about it. Yeah. Um, they have one of the highest uh, in their region, one of the highest uh, actually like hospitalization and, and cases by death. Um, oh wow! Okay, yeah, it's crazy. So, like, the more you're vaccinating, and this is the who's actually even, even warning about this, and nobody should trust the who. But they're saying, like, as you continue to vaccinate, it's weaken weakening your immune system. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and uh, I'll just throw this study up here real quick. Um, basically, they're just saying these findings indicate that immunity against the Delta variant of SARS-CoV-2 waned in all age groups a few months after receipt of the second dose of the vaccine. Um, just they're saying they have the tools but <laughs> you, you know I, I don't know if you got like pittsburgh tools you know you went to harbor freight to find your tools or what but <laughs> i can tell you right now it doesn't seem like you're working <laughs> nope tools to save lives and keep businesses and schools open 75 percent of adults are fully vaccinated We've gone from 90 million adults with no shots in arms last summer and down to 35 million with no shots as of today. And we're adding about 9 million more vaccinations each week. We're going to stick with our vaccination efforts because vaccinations work. So get vaccinated, please. Just, just saying. <laughs> we, we just went through it. Vaccines work. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to say one way or the other, but... Doesn't look good. <laughs> I was also doing oh, I was also doing some reading a few weeks ago. Um, like I, I mean, I have heard what uh, you were saying about the vaccines weakening your immune system, but also um, like the more shots, a, a, a side effect of that is the more shots that you've had the less your next booster is going to do to protect you from COVID. So if you've already had three shots and you're getting a, another booster, it's, it's like firing a blank. Whereas, I mean, if you're getting your first and only shot right now, I've heard it can actually do more against COVID because it's your first shot. But yeah, if you've had three and you're going to get another one, like you're basically just firing a blank at this point, especially against the Omicron variant because it, it's mm -hmm. pretty impervious to vaccines anyways. So I follow uh, Dr. John Campbell, and uh, I believe he said that, surprisingly, Omicron was actually evading natural immunity. But um, from what I've heard from Jay Bhattacharya, who's a doctor from Oxford or Stanford, I can't remember what it is, but um, he was one of the drafters of the Great Barrington Declaration. He said that reinfection rate amongst people who have natural immunity is about 0.3 to 1%. 
So, and when those people do get reinfected, it's incredibly mild. So, you know, once again, why aren't we talking about natural immunity? Um, I'm not of the camp that says vaccines are useless, but um, as more and more data comes out, it just does not look like it's living up to the hype. I mean, that's like the biggest con that we've been sold over the last two years, in my opinion. And I put up. It seems like very early on, like last, like almost a year ago right now, like if you got a vaccine, it seems like from the data that it lowered the effects of the original COVID variant with the original vaccine. But at this point, they are doing less, like especially if you're boosted up and everything. Right. We, we never got the real statistics. I mean, th- this is, we forget that we're in the middle of an experiment. Like nobody really knew how this was going to work out. And a year without a vaccine, we had less deaths. A year with the vaccine, we had more deaths. Um, and now we're setting record cases, millions of cases. I'm, I mean, it's insane to say it's working and what we're doing is working and you're not allowed to question it or you're censored or you're deleted. Like it's blatantly obvious that there's something more going on here. Um, and then they're selling you the vaccine. They're they're pushing the vaccine. They're, it's all vax, vax, vax and not treatments. Like that's the best way to treat any, any viruses with, with, a, with, a, with actual treatments. So there's just way too many red flags. And the push of what they're doing is just, I mean, it's just, it's just not working the way they say it is. So. Right. And like I said, we got hugely conned and it's unfortunate they're pushing this on people younger than, you know, like 30, because I did put up a study that was sent to me from somebody I follow and your chances of, um, make sure I lay this out correctly. So there were about 9 million cases of COVID in people from the ages of 18 to 29, right? Now, less than 4,500 of those 9 million cases died. So that's about, I think it was a half of 1% of all COVID-19 cases that were recorded in ages 18 to 29 died, right? Less than half a percent. So um, their risk of getting myocarditis from the vaccine is one in about 32,250, I want to say, which is incredibly small. I'm not one of those dudes who's going to freak out and say that as soon as you look at that needle, you're going to get a heart attack. But if your chance of dying from COVID is a half of 1% and your chance of getting myocarditis from the vaccine is one in 32,000, which is still probably pretty low, you don't know that you're going to get exposed to COVID, right? If you get the vaccine, then there's no going back at that point. If you ask yeah. me, you're probably better off taking the risk with COVID, not a doctor. Just telling you the way I see it from the data that I've read. Um, I believe it was Noam Barda at all. If you look that up, um, I'll see if I can find That's it. why I didn't notes. get vaccinated. I did a, a live stream on this a few months ago uh, because the, yeah, the likelihood of me dying from COVID was not extremely uh, it wasn't that much higher than the likelihood of getting you know one of the side effects one of which is myocarditis from getting the vaccine so it's like why would i bother like it doesn't make any sense yes so 86 percent of the cases of myocarditis end up with hospitalization right 86 percent and it's funny if they say mild myocarditis what is mild heart inflammation (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> like, what, what are you talking about? So, um, do you guys got anything else to add, or do you want to keep rolling? 
I didn't even hear of myocarditis until this vaccine, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it all honestly knew it did I. All right. And get your booster. Look, we're also increasing testing. Should we have done more testing earlier? Yes, but we're doing more now. We've gone from zero at-home tests a year ago to 375 million tests on the market in just this month. If you buy a test at a store, your insurance will reimburse you. On top of that, we're making 1 billion, 1 billion at-home tests available for you to order and be delivered to your home for free. Okay, I had to stop this right here because I looked this up. So he said the government is making 1 billion tests available, right? You guys got that. So 1 billion tests ordered, the cheapest one I could find just doing a simple Google search was 7.99, right? So if you multiply that, 799 by 1 billion then the government spent 7 billion 990 million dollars on um covid tests now if you went more expensive with the most expensive one that i could find for an individual test at 28 dollars a pop they spent 28 billion dollars on tests and i don't think they even trust these at-home tests like they say, if you get an at-home test, like don't trust that one. Mm -hmm. I mean, PCR test is actually hogwash, anyways. Right. Um, so I mean, I don't. It, it's just it, it, to judge off cases too. Like we, I think we touched on it, but like we can't. I mean, actually, Fauci actually had to talk about it at a point in time. Um, but like cases don't mean anything. I mean, it's the hospitalization numbers. And then those don't even mean anything if you're telling the real story. Are they in the hospital with COVID or because of COVID? Well, yeah, yeah, it's funny that the regime's kind of coming out and saying what everybody was saying two years ago. Well, did they, you know, are they hospitalized because of COVID or are they hospitalized with COVID? Well, now if you look at the data, now <laughs> there's a lot of people who are entering the hospital and then testing positive for COVID, right? You know, it's... It, they're, they're, it's like they're saying the quiet part out loud, essentially. Yeah. Just visit covidtest.gov to know how to get that free test kit to your home. In addition, there are 20,000 sites where you can get tested in person for free now. And now we have more treatments that people can, to, that for people to keep people out of the hospital than any other point in the pandemic, including life-saving antiviral pills. We purchased 20 million of these new Pfizer pills. Okay, so to touch on this real quick, I looked into it and you know who who did the study for Pfizer's pills to show the efficacy? Pfizer. <laughs> Pfizer did the study to verify that the Pfizer pills were effective. That's just putting that out there. So, um, I wasn't able to find too much other data on it. Um, they did say, I think it was ranging from like 50 to 90% effective. I really don't know that much about it. Um, maybe that's true, but once again, you got the fox guard in the hen house <laughs> when you literally have them doing their own study to prove the efficacy of their own pill. And, you know, I think everybody knows that a majority of Congress and the Senate hold stock in Pfizer. So, of course, they're going to say, oh, well, we bought all these pills from Pfizer. Well, guess what? Their stock went up, too. We, it, dude, it's a self-looking ice cream cone. We, That's the best have, way to put it. We have cheap, I mean, proven safe, like proven safe, like Nobel Prize winning uh, treatments, you know, that 
Uh, they like to call horse wormer uh, that were actually were proven to work in multiple studies and worked in India. Um, and it's that's another telltale sign of they're not telling the truth. Um, and then we have the antibodies that he was blocking uh, if you weren't a certain skin color. And that's another like, what the heck's going on? Like, I mean, he should have made it more available, but he was making it less available. So it's just, it's honestly, it's crazy. It's criminal. Yeah, no, I mean, when it's, it's sort of like when uh, you have the government inspecting itself for corruption or whatever, when you have a company testing its own efficacy, of course, it's going to be off, you know, I don't know, it seems kind of self-explanatory to anyone with a brain. Yeah, well, they think about who we're dealing with. <laughs> More than any country in the world, the bottom line on COVID-19 is that we're in a better place than we've been and have been thus far, clearly better than a year ago. We're not going to back, we're not going back to lockdowns. We're not going back to closing schools. Schools should stay open because the American Rescue Plan, we provided to states $130 billion, $130 billion to keep our students and educators safe and schools open. Funding for ventilation systems in schools, social distancing, hygiene for classrooms and the school buses. In addition, we've added another $10 billion for COVID-19 tests to be able to be administered at schools. And many states and school districts have spent this money very well. Unfortunately, some haven't. So my question here is, what are you going to do? Are you going to test every single child every single time they come in if they got a sniffle? You know, what is the human capital cost that we're dealing with here? Because are you going to have, you know, are you literally going to pay somebody to sit, sit there and shove Q-tips up little kids' noses and tell me how many days they're going to put up with that? Uh, like, at some point, I'm pretty sure he said at one point, we have to live with it. We have to live with COVID. This is not going away. And children are not the main vector of how this disease spreads. All right. Lockdowns honestly probably cause more spread than anything else. Because instead of people going out and about and not being closed indoors and, you know, putting all the air, you know, filling up the air with COVID-19 particles, as crude as that is to say, um, in your in close proximity to people, when you lock people in their houses, you know, now everybody gets covered within the house. Um, you know, what's what the fuck's the point here? And once again, it's inflationary because where are you getting this money? He says it later on, but nobody's taxes are going to be raised. So where is this money coming from? It's coming from the money printer. Encourage the states and school districts that use the funding to protect our children and keep our schools open. Use it. The COVID-19 is not going to give up and accept things. Uh, you know, it's, it's just it's, it's not going to go away immediately. But I'm not going to give up and accept things as they are now. Some people may call what's happening now the new normal. I call it a job not yet finished. It will get better. We're moving toward a time when COVID-19 won't disrupt our daily lives. Where COVID-19 won't be a crisis, but something to protect against and a threat. Look, we're not there yet, but we will get there. Now, the second challenge we're facing are prices. So before we kind of move on to this rabbit hole, because this is going to be a really good one, um, what is the objective measurement when we are out of the pandemic, right? Is it cases? Is it hospitalizations? Is it vaccination? Is it natural immunity? Oh, 
well, we know it's not that one, but what is the objective standard that we're going to say that we no longer need any more COVID measures? Once the biosecurity state has been established and the oligarchs are happy. Bingo. I mean, it, it, it doesn't stop until we stop it, to be honest. I mean, mm -hmm. as long as we participate in this parade, this charade, this madness, um, it, they're going to keep on pressing forward. Uh, dictators, authoritarians, totalitarians, they don't like to give up power and they're not going to. Uh, and they, there is a bigger uh, scheme at play here and Reed hit it on the head. Um, they, they want a social credit score. They want a vaccine passport system. They want total control. Five. COVID-19 has created a lot of economic complications, including. Let me uh, correct that real quick. It was never COVID-19 that caused the problems. It was a government reaction to COVID-19, right? You could argue. COVID-19 was a reaction to government too, you know, most likely. <laughs> yeah, most likely. It's two years ago, you would have got thrown off and called a conspiracy theorist, but now they say it out in the open. What the hell, man? <laughs> or. Come on, man. <laughs> Rapid price increases across the world economy. People see it at the gas pumps, the grocery stores, and elsewhere. So here's what we're going to do. A critical job in making sure that the elevated prices don't become entrenched rests with the Federal Reserve, which has a dual mandate, full employment Sorry. and stable prices. We have neither. We have Neither. We hit on this a little bit earlier. We have neither. The Federal Reserve has been the sole instrument in stealing our purchasing power for the last over 100 years. They're not good at the job they're assigned. And how can you think, I don't know where people get this idea that someone in charge of a bank, a money printer, can somehow manipulate the economy to increase employment. I. I I don't know how you can square that circle, but to me, it's not possible because the economy is so delicate, or I don't even want to say delicate, but complicated. And there's so many nuances and there's so much stuff that bureaucrats and even we don't understand. And certainly the chairman of the Federal Reserve doesn't understand. They've had low interest rates for the last 20 years because so we had to go fight a war. So we had to put down you know, interest rates super low. And then when bubbles start coming up, we lower them again and we just keep pushing them down and down and down. But I don't want to hit on that too much. We'll let him talk for a little bit. And once again, if you guys got any uh, points to bring up, just let me know. The Federal Reserve provided extraordinary support during the crisis for the previous year and a half. Given the strength of our economy and the pace of recent price increases, it's appropriate as the federal chairman, Chairman Powell, the Fed Chairman Powell has indicated, to recalibrate the support that is now necessary. I respect the Fed's, the Fed's independence, and I've nominated five superb individuals to serve on the Federal Board of Governors, men and women, from a variety of ideological perspectives. They're eminently qualified, historically diverse, and have earned bipartisan praise. And I call on the United States Senate to confirm them without any further I guarantee that these are not bipartisan people at all no you know i mean no. if, well if there isn't a transgender person on there then i don't trust their judgment you know? <laughs> like, i only heard men and women and that has me kind of concerned so well yeah he never said post-op or pre-op so i'm pretty skeptical yeah no i mean but uh well i, I want to hear the rest of what he says about the federal reserve before they comments so cool delay and here at the white house 
And for my friends in Congress, the best thing to tackle high prices is a more productive economy. So it's funny. Hey, he's right when he says that. In, he is, in yeah. Principle. <laughs> right, in principle. Right, in principle. But yeah. right, right, right. Um, it, it's funny that, you know, they say that we have a separate Federal Reserve, right? It's a private bank. But then he said, I picked five people to go there. Yeah, they're quasi independent. They're not really right. private. Right. You scratch my back. With greater capacity to deliver goods and services to the American people and a growing economy where folks have more choices and more small businesses compete and where more goods can get to market faster and cheaper. I've laid out a three part plan to do just that. First, fix the supply chain. COVID 19 has had a global impact on the economy. Once again, not COVID-19. And to his credit, he's not wrong in really much that he said there, but in print or in action, it's a completely different story. I, think, I mean, we don't have a strong economy. He was wrong about that. I mean, well, right, right. <laughs> factory shuts down in one part of the world, shipments to shops and homes and businesses all over the world are disrupted. COVID-19 has compounded that many times over. A couple of months ago, in this very room, we talked and we heard dire warnings about how the supply chain problems could create a real crisis around the holidays. So we acted. We brought together business and labor. And that much predicted crisis did not occur. 99% of the packages were delivered on time and shelves were stocked. And notwithstanding the recent storms that have impacted many parts of our country, the share of goods in stock at stores is 89% now. So to correct him here, he's pretty close to right, but um, from the New York Post is reliable as that is. Um, I believe somewhere in here they said it was actually 88%, like they were 12% down. Okay, yeah, yeah, grocery stores and other retailers face a 12% out of stock level on many household staples compared to 7-10% in regular times. So not entirely wrong, but I mean, it doesn't ever, I've never seen anything like this though. So don't like right. normalize the unnormal. Like I've never seen, went to the meat section. There's no, there's no meat. Right. I, I don't know. The freezer's empty. Like they can tell me it's 2% off, 3% off, but it, it's substantial to me. It's more than that. I don't know. I, I think you can hide stuff in numbers. Well, that that's a good point to bring up because the way that they get their inflation numbers is they completely butchered the CPI um all these numbers that the government will ever tell you are completely doctored up to make them look as favorable as possible and the last you know 10 15 years we've had higher than one to two percent inflation because the federal reserve says their target is two percent inflation per year right well the way they're able to maintain that is because once again they doctor up the cpi so instead of let's say if people prefer hamburgers and they can no longer afford hamburgers then they're going to switch it over to chicken Right. They they do these kind of bait and switch with the numbers all the time to make it look as favorable as possible. And not only that, it benefits, you know, these politicians and people who like to spend copious amounts of money to uh, make it look like inflation is lower than it is. So that way people don't notice their purchasing power being stolen out from underneath them. Yep. Barely changed from the 91 percent before the pandemic. I often see empty shelves being shown on television. Eighty nine percent are full which is only a few points below what it was before the pandemic. But our work's not done. My infrastructure law, 
will supercharge your effort upgrading everything from roads and bridges to ports and airports, railways and transit to make the economy move faster and reduce prices for families. So we kind of hit on that a little bit earlier. Once again, government jobs are a net drain on the economy because you're stealing money and productive labor from you know, what would normally be in a free market and then having the government do it less efficiently and then putting more middlemen in the way of that productive labor. And it's probably going to be done less efficiently and, you know, with less quality when it's done by the government. And it's going to take a longer period of time. So the economy will not feel those effects until said jobs are done, which once again, knowing the government, we live in Pennsylvania, Shane, you know, just as well as I do, Route 28 is always under construction. It's a public highway. Reed? Yeah, no, I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the infrastructure plan, like, I might be wrong, but I think a very small portion is going towards roads and stuff like that. It's more geared towards this green uh, ambition that he has, this green new deal and all that stuff. He wasn't able to get all the money he wanted, but um, that's still the target of his infrastructure plan. Gender studies in Pakistan is infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Second thing, my Build Back Better plan will address the biggest cost of working families face every day. No other plan will do more to lower the cost for American families. It cuts the cost of, for childcare. Many families, including the people sitting in this room, if they have children and they're working full time, many families pay up to $14,000 a year for childcare in big cities, less than that in smaller ones. My plan cuts that in half. That will not only be a game changer for so many families' budgets, but it will mean so much nearly 2 million women, who, women who've left the workforce during the pandemic because of things like childcare. My Build Back Better plan cuts the price of prescription drugs. So insulin, that today costs some people as much as $1,000 a month, will cost no more than $35 a month. It cuts the cost of elder care. It lowers energy costs. And it will do all this without raising a single penny in taxes on people making <laughs> under $400,000 a year or raising the deficit. And that's where the bullshit really comes in. Once again, how does government get its money? Through taxes or through printing money at the Federal Reserve? How are you going to pay for a couple trillion dollar infrastructure plan without raising taxes or without going to the Federal Reserve? I thought it would cost zero dollars. That's what they were telling us this last <laughs> fall. That, that's... Like you guys were saying earlier, that we've been gaslit into, uh, into oblivion. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're supposed to believe, oh, yeah, this is just free money. As Milton Friedman used to say, money from helicopters, right? It, it's, it's not free, dude. It's not free. We're feeling the inflation from the last 20 years, and we've yet to feel the inflation from 2020. And we've yet to feel the inflation that's going to be hitting us much, much harder from his administration. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you're right. Tough times ahead. In fact, my plan cuts the deficit and boosts the economy by, by getting more people into the workforce. That's why 17 Nobel Prize winners for economics say it will ease long-term inflationary pressure. The bottom line, if price increases are what you're worried about, the best answer is my Build Back Better plan. Third thing we're going to do, promote competition. Look, in too many industries, a handful of giant companies Real quick on this, it's funny that he brought up insulin. Um, the problem with insulin is that it's essentially trademarked, right? Nobody can compete in producing insulin. Nobody ever talks about that. And I believe it was 
Trump who put out the executive order to lower the cost of it, which it's a bandaid on a snake bite, but the real cure there is, all right, we'll let the free market interact. And, you know, if companies can produce insulin better for cheaper, then people gravitate towards that. And if you can't, then, well, you're done. But, you know, there's no talk of that. Has he already, uh, I watched this before uh, we went on the show. Did you, did he already say he's a capitalist, but capitalism? Oh, dude, we're we're getting there. We're We're getting getting there. there. But that's exactly what you're pointing out right there. Like, right. So uh, later on, he says, you know, capitalism without competition is not capitalism. It's exploitation, which is a leftist talking point. What he should be saying is capitalism without competition is corporatism because that's when the government is favoring a certain business he's he phrases it as if the problem is that it's an unfettered market that has squashed competition somehow where it's the complete opposite it's because the government has protected the monopoly on medicine like you're 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 talking about so but that's coming up he and he actually rescinded uh he, he rescinded um, Trump's executive order when he first came into office on insulin. So I mean, Right. And look, I would be OK with that if you're going to say, look, we're getting rid of this and we're going to allow companies to compete. Right. But essentially, it's the government picking winners and losers. If you would have said we're going to remove this executive order and then whoever makes insulin. Cool. But that's not what they did. No. There's like meat processing, railroad shipping and other areas. This isn't a new issue. It's not been the reason we've had high inflation today. It's not the only reason. It's been happening for a decade. But over time, it has reduced competition, squeezed out small businesses and farmers, ranchers, and increased the price for consumers. We end up with an industry like the meat processing industry, where four big companies dominate the markets. Pay ranchers less for their cattle they grow, charge consumers more for beef, hamburger meat, whatever they're buying. Prices are up. Look, I'm a capitalist. But capitalism without competition is not capitalism, it's exploitation. So I signed an executive order to tackle unfair competition in our economy. We're gonna continue to enforce it, along with working with Congress where we can. I'll close with this. We have faced some of the biggest challenges that we've ever faced in this Yeah, so that, I mean, that was obviously the clip I was talking about, um, which, I mean, I, I used to believe this, you know, even when, I mean, I think even most Republicans believe that, that, you know, an unfettered market is unfair and it's exploitive. I used to say that, um, but then when you actually research it, you find out that's not the case. There's only ever been one free market monopoly, the alcohol aluminum company. Um, I forget what, in the, like early 1900s, I think. That was the only free market monopoly that ever existed. And when you think about it, why is a free market monopoly even a bad thing? Because that means that they're doing, they're making the product the best quality for the lowest price and paying their employees the best and treating them the best and everything. Cause if they weren't there would, if it were a free market, there'd be an opportunity for another company to step in and either treat their workers better or make better products or have lower prices. Like any of those things would force competition to another company. So this idea that the free market is exploitative is just complete bullshit. Like it's, uh, you know, the government is what exploits the market. Absolutely. Shane, you got anything to add or do you want to uh, kind of finish this out? Um, I mean, just like how he said where Congress can fix it where they can. Like, he, I mean, he, he just he just gaslights this whole 
time. It's sick. But that's all. I mean, keep it rolling. <laughs> Challenges to our public health. Challenges to our economy. But we're getting through it. And not only are we getting through it, we're laying the foundation for future, where America wins the 21st century by creating jobs at a record pace. Now we need to get inflation under control. We have developed ex an extraordinarily effective booster shots and antiviral pills. Now we need to finish the job to get COVID-19 under control. I've long said, it's never been a good bet to bet against the American people or America. I believe that more than ever today. We've seen the grit and determination of the American people this past year. But the best days of this country are still ahead of us, not behind us. Now I'm happy to take questions. All so right. I'll just, I'll just say, like, there's a lot of bullshit in that speech. Like, there's a lot of misinformation. But it was a pretty good talk for him. I was kind of impressed with like, oh, how we got through it. Yeah, no, it is pretty impressive that he didn't have any of the Biden. It's just a little bit of stuttering and, you know, yeah. spitting around. It's but, more uh, impressive watching it at one and a quarter speed. He sounds a lot better than yeah. <laughs> at actual speed. Yeah. He, he struggled really bad with the questions, though. He's he like, yeah, you can tell he was typical Biden. Then. I mean, he does little gestures, too. You can tell, like, to, like, move the screen and stuff mm -hmm. like that. I mean, yeah, he's um, good behind a teleprompter in certain situations. And that's about it. Like, beyond that, he's kind of useless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably a majority of what that was is, you know, probably reading from the teleprompter, reading from the script. And like I said, you can hear the gaffs a little bit, the stuttering. Um, yeah, it, it's it's bad, dude. It, it's bad. And it's coded with bullshit. Um, but I read you pointed this out on Twitter and you said the same, you know, something to a similar degree about Trump. But the nice thing about Biden is that he so delegitimizes the authority from Washington. And especially after these last two years, where we've seen tin pot dictators, as Rand Paul would call them, um, enforcing lockdowns and these ridiculous laws upon their populace, um, people no longer tolerate it. And they do look more to a local level, to their communities, to their governors, to whoever for an answer rather than straight to Washington. And I really don't see a better way out of it than looking at a local level and working with people in your community to uh, kind of make things better where you can, because we know Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Barack Obama, whoever, even Ron DeSantis, if he gets in there, Dave Smith, you name them. If they get in there, they will not be able to make our lives actively better. Only no. we can do that. Yeah. I mean, my life has actually been better in 2021 than in 2020 just because of where I lived. I lived in Utah and Utah didn't brook the same nonsense in 2021 that they had in 2020. Um, I'm heavily considering moving back to New Hampshire, which is where I'm from, just because they are solidifying, you know, a liberty value system there and trying to, uh, you know, trying to, to concentrate a bunch of people who believe in liberty and decentralize the state government so it doesn't even matter who becomes governor you know towns can decide how they want to protect themselves um and i you know the free state project when i lived in new hampshire you heard about it but nothing like it is now and because of the ridiculous tyranny of the last year and a, or two years now coming up on uh it's exploded you know tons of people have moved there it's become insanely popular and I think, you know, we can, without Trump and Biden, like Trump did a lot to delegitimize the 
I'd say like the sacredness of the position just because he was such a clown, which, you know, he like just, I mean, anyone who respected that position started looking at it differently, but then he was like the perfect, you know, precursor to Biden who is, you know, has just destroyed any semblance of honor or respect or integrity (laughs) that that office ever had. So I am eternally thankful for Trump and Biden uh, for who they've turned me into because before Trump you know I was a pretty like comparatively blue-pilled libertarian kind of moderate you know like uh, oh we just you know we need to follow the constitution and enforce the system and you know we don't need to get rid of all these government departments we just need good people running them or whatever like that was just kind of how I thought before Trump and then you know you had Trump and Biden now and it's just completely changed who I am it's completely changed who millions of people in this country are and it's forced people to pay attention and think about what's going on in their communities. So thank you, Trump and Biden, especially <laughs> Biden. <laughs> Shane, closing comments? I mean, local action has national impact. Um, this past two years have woken people up to see that uh, politics do have a major influence on our life. Um, we, we are supposed to be involved. We were never supposed to be asleep at the wheel like we were. Um, we need to get involved. We need to um, be involved in, in every aspect of politics, whether it's the voting booth or the watching the voting and, or, uh, you know, getting on committees and, and, and actually trying to influence, um, from a local, because that local impact can, can go the whole way throughout a nation. Uh, what somebody does in a certain community can transcend to the, to, to the nation. So I think it's just important that, um, we get involved and we, we actually try to, uh, change things. Uh, we are we are supposed to be the government. It's supposed to be a self-government. We were letting politicians run this stuff for too long, um, and we we need to take it back. Uh, we the people. So that's that's what I love about what what's happening. There is regular day everyday people getting involved, and that's what it was supposed to be. We're not supposed to have career career politicians, um, and we 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 found out what those really are in the past uh, couple of years. Um, it's really easy to see now. It's real clear. It's um, it's once you see it, you can't unsee it. So uh, I'm thankful for everything that's happened, even though it's been tough. Um, it, it makes it it's made us better people and it's made us a better country, I think, in the, in the long run. Um, once we get it, once we get it power back. Absolutely. And uh, like we were all kind of saying, there's no other way to do it other than just kind of localism and becoming better uh, shepherds of our community. Um, I definitely feel that, um, you know, I think all of us kind of you know resemble that shane you know you um you know you kind of came to presence when you uh defied the vaccine mandate and i think you gave a lot of other people probably similar courage to do the same thing and um you showed to be a leader reed's been reed on twitter and definitely uh, gets his message out there and um you know definitely has been a great voice for liberty as well and um you know, being able to talk to people from all different ends of the spectrum, not just libertarians, not just right wingers, not just left wingers, all of them, and uh, maybe pull them in a bit more of a liberty direction. But, um, you know, these last two years have really been awesome for me as well. You know, despite the lockdowns, everything like that, I'm in the best health of my life. Um, getting married this year, 
I, I could not be happier. And I think things are to continue to get better. And yeah, the political climate may suck, but you know, we got to do everything we can to make it better. And if we can't really do anything, then, well, you know, the, <laughs> we know the end of the empire is coming and we'll all be around for after it. And we have tons of great minds to uh, kind of move us forward. And, um, you know, it's great to, for me to be able to talk to those voices and for those voices to be out there, to be heard. Um, you guys got anything else you want to kind of close on or are you guys ready to rock and roll? Yeah, I'll just say uh, tomorrow I've got, or I guess it'll be the same day this releases, I'll be having Kim Iverson on my show. Uh, she's one of like the only based left-wing people. Uh, I think she's the only left-winger who, although she, I think she's like losing her left-wingness, she's kind of like, I, I've seen some tweets where she's talking about how collectivism is you know, dangerous in a society and we need to embrace individualism. So it's going to be an interesting conversation, but she was the only left winger in 2020 who had been against lockdowns from the very beginning. Uh, some people like Jimmy Dore and Aaron Matei like started coming out against it this past year and started coming out against vaccine mandates, like as they proved to not work or whatever, but she was against it on principle from day one. Um, and we're going to be talking about how the left, even though like 20 years ago, they were the ones for uh, pushing for more tolerance and, you know, being kind of against really authoritative legislation that was controlling people's lives. Now and being anti-war. Yeah. Yeah, they were. I don't I don't actually think they were ever that great on the war stuff, but they were like pretty good on civil liberties and like letting people live how they want to. And now mm. they're awful. Uh, and then on Saturday, I'll be having James Lindsay on my show. So pretty sweet weekend coming up. So make sure to check that out. I'm the naturalist capitalist on YouTube, Odyssey, and all the podcast feeds. And I'm at Reed underscore Coverdale on Twitter. Unless he gets nuked. Shane, yeah. <laughs> what do you got the first time? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I got I got a, a benefit um, for it's a luau party in Verona. If you're in local Pennsylvania. That's at the Hula Bar. Um, starts at three o'clock. Uh, the money raised is going to go to help Allegheny County police like me that got fired uh, because of the mandate. And then the next day, I'm rolling out at five in the morning, uh, going to D.C. to uh, march with, with the defeat the mandates. Um, it's going to be huge. Uh, there's actually worldwide protests uh, going on that day. But um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Dr. Robert Malone, uh, Dr. Peter McCullough. Uh, I mean. The, the uh, just the, the names go on. Um, it's going to be great. It's it's uh, the march goes from Washington Monument to to uh, the Lincoln Memorial, um, and I hope to see you know somewhere around fifty thousand to a hundred thousand people there. Uh, I know they have something like that uh, in mind, so it should be pretty cool. Hey, I, if someone tells you they want to storm the White House, they're a Fed. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, look, look for the name tag Ray. Yeah, been there, been there, done that. So yeah, check, yeah. The, uh, check the FBI's most wanted or the CIA or FBI's most wanted list and kind of kind of see the names there. And if any of those names disappear and they introduce themselves to you, yeah, nah. stay away. <laughs> nah, bro. All right, well, Shane, I will see you Saturday. Reed, we'll have to do it again sometime. And um, until next time, everybody, take care. And this was in Liberty and Health. All right, see you guys.